As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everybody, and a warm welcome to The Ruck, the Times and Sunday Times weekly podcast. Thanks for pushing us up the podcast charts to the top 10. We're very grateful. Um, You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can join the conversation by leaving a review. Please get involved. Um, The Six Nations is now long gone, but there are still 101 things to talk about. Uh, We'll be going right through to the Lions Tour and coming to you from New Zealand, from the tour, 12,000 miles away, into the bargain. Stick with us. Lots of big conversation to be had. This week, we've got European quarterfinals that we're going to look at. Four great games in the competition, uh, in the Challenge Cup competition, and obviously in the Champions Cup. Um, More Lions speculation, more Lions bungling in terms of organisation. Also a battle for the soul of rugby at Newport, where I've been a few times. So let's just introduce the panel. We usually go for clean cut and polite panellists. Today we've got three of the edgiest characters in in rugby joining us. Uh, First of all, um, uh, the man known in Glasgow backstreets as Big Al, uh, rugby world's Alan Dimmock. Alan was a player with, who was engaged with Edinburgh and Glasgow, hard man up front, then moved on and to become features editor of Rugby World, which was, I think, Al, is was your first full-time job. Well, yeah, actually, um, you, you mentioned involved with Edinburgh and Glasgow. I think I had the distinct record of being involved with two professional teams, zero games played. Uh, but uh, from that, uh, went to university and was lucky enough to start freelancing for Rugby World and straight out of doing my master's degree, they said... Fancy jumping on board. Pretty lucky, to be fair. Well, we all needed that luck at the start. It was exactly the same with me. But um, recently, uh, as recently as last year, Al held the uh, SJA UK Rugby Writer of the Year title. Yeah, I lost it to some fella. I don't know who it was. I know. Well, he's back in this box this year because uh, it's been restored to the uh, uh, worthy winner. No, seriously, to win that award uh, early in your career was a magnificent achievement. Uh, Al, there's a lot of affection for Rugby World. It started in 1960, uh, still still going strong. Also a great proving ground for young hacks. Um, is that how you see it? Well, I, I think it's, it's a great place to cut your teeth because it's sometimes when people you talk about writing for a monthly magazine, people assume that you file some copy in the last weeks of the print run, put your feet up and that's it. But actually one of the best things... Is that not what you do? Well, I I wish it was what we did. But actually sometimes you get to go on magnificent trips as well because of the the name World. But um, it's fantastic for learning the nuts and bolts because you're out trying to source stories, but then when you come back into the office, you've got to put it all together. You've got to liaise with designers. And actually it's great in terms of learning 
what journalism is all about. And as you said, some fantastic names have come through there. Seems like every time I go to a press box and I meet an older hack, they say, oh, I remember when I used to write for Rugby World. And you realise the the list of greats that have actually worked with the publication. I don't remember the exact years I wrote for Rugby World. I do remember the salary. It was pitiful, but I'm sure it's not the same now. We now move on to a man who is the, um, to greyhound racing, what Shake McToom is for horse racing. He's the owner of Champagne Mora and Ninja Rascal. Uh, recently, Mora came in second at home, uh, at Hove, sorry. Um, Adam Hathaway, greyhound owner, also arguably one of the, the most famous freelance in rugby. Adam appears in The People, massively admired. And when people say, as they often do, my God, Hathaway's gone to the dogs, they may be talking about greyhound racing. We don't know. Uh, also famous for his duck consumption. I once <laughs> went to a, on a weekend trip with him in which we had 11 meals in France. He ordered duck all the time. That included two breakfasts. Um, Adam, we don't usually ask the tabloids to join this year, but um, you've managed to sneak in. Can I just ask you what you, you... You're always very close to Eddie Jones. You use him a lot uh, and you you need him a lot in your job. What, mm-hmm. do you, what do you make of recent criticism that Eddie's a bit of a grandstander and um, loves the attention? Um, I, I think that what Eddie's... Eddie's- Eddie was just what England needed because previous regimes, I mean, I know there was an article at the weekend accusing him of arrogance. Um, I didn't notice that. Who was that by? That was by somebody in this office. Was it? Oh. Yeah. Um, I think it's exactly what England needed. The past, the previous regime was a little bit too humble um, and maybe it t- takes an Aussie to get England's part of their chest out a little bit. Mm, I, agree. I agree with that. I agree. Okay, finally, um, a third member of our panel... Uh, fighting out of the red corner and from the rugby paper, Nick Moose Kane. Now, Nick has had a, a long career in journalism, and to be serious, um, he and I worked for ages on the Sunday Times together, and you could not have a better colleague or one who knows the game so well. Now, it's a time of frippery and online froth in journalism. Let's uh, all get behind our boys, etc. Well, Nick. Uh, thank goodness, is a real journalist, not one of those. Nick, um, the rugby paper, when it started, it was a f- seemed a faintly optimistic venture, but going well, um, lasted the course, goes through the summer. Are you happy with the way it's going? Yes, very. I think that, um, you know, I mean, when we first started, as with all these ventures, it was a little bit tenuous. You know, you couldn't uh, predict really whether there was, uh, whether the grassroots would engage. But... I think that the format of the paper as a weekly, which covers the game from the elite end right the way through uh, grassroots of the game in uh, in England and Wales, you know, is an extremely strong format. There's obviously a huge popularity within the community game. When we first started off, it was just before the Lions tour in 2009. Uh, we had a few months run up to it. And it was really, it's interesting because it was really that tour in 2009 that uh, provided the uh, the takeoff for the paper. And what an amazing tour that was. Okay, that's Rugby World, the, ru- the rugby paper. 
We're going to move on now to the European Champions Cup. Now, last year, it was a bit of a, a party to which no one else was invited by the French and English. This time, more teams have squeezed through and it's more representative. Really does look uh, a fantastic quarterfinal lineup. We've got Leinster Wasps, we've got Munster Toulouse, Saracens Glasgow, and we've got Clermont Toulon. Let's uh, deal with the um, Leinster Wasps first. A- Adam, um, you see you see a lot of Wasps, uh, you've seen a lot of Leinster. Wasps should not be away. Uh, it had the laws of the game being applied properly by the referee at the Was Connaught game. Yeah. But how do you see that? Uh, wasps defensively frail lately, but can they win over there? Uh, I think Wasps will go there and nick it. Um, this is the leaders of the Pro 12 against the leaders of the Premiership. Now, Die Young on Sunday rested a lot of his England big guns, Joe Launchbury, Elliot Daly, Nathan Hughes. Uh, they've won, they won, beat Leinster twice last year, absolutely humped them at the Rico and beat them in, in Dublin as well. I I fancy them to go over there and do a job on Leinster. But, uh, Nick, uh, a former Wasp player yourself, do you think your boys can squeeze it? Because Leinster on paper have bounced back and looked very, very strong. Yeah, I'm a bit more apprehensive than, uh, than Adam is. I think that Wasps look to me to be still not the sum of all their stellar parts, really. I think that... Their pack is going to be as as it as it always is. The pack will will dictate whether they come away and uh, with a semi final berth. And I think that they're vulnerable. I don't think that they went particularly well. I know to Adams as Adam says they rested a lot of players uh, at the weekend, but they're going to really have to step up. I think the interesting thing about that fixture is that if you look at who the referee appointment is, so it's Nigel Owens. You've got a game at the Aviva with Leinster at home, who are top of the league. I I. I tend to agree with Adam in that I think Wasps may have just too much, a little bit too much power. I think when in the in the final stretch they might be able to nick it with a a length of the field try. But the thing is, is that you have to look at and admire what Leinster have done this season. Come through a couple of fallow years, and you look at the players that they've been playing whilst their big guns have been with Ireland. You've got youngsters like Dan Levy, you've got Ross Maloney, James Tracy, Adam Byrne. You've got kids like. Gary Ringrose and Josh van der Fleer. Whatever happens, they are going to give this a good fight and it's going to bear fruit in a couple of years' time. And suddenly we're going to be turning around and saying, geez, this Leinster team could is as good as it was a couple of years back when they were winning titles. It's a really encouraging time for Leinster, I think. And this game is because you've got Nigel Owens in the middle. I think it's going to be an absolute cracker, whatever happens. Yep, OK, I, that, that, that's a fair comment. Um, I'm just going to uh, just a word about Munster to lose from myself. I think it would be absolutely murder. I think Munster will win by loads. Toulouse are only ninth in the French top 14. I think they're existing only on their pride. I think the club has gone to the dogs. Munster have obviously bounced back. I, I, part of me thinks this Munster team could be better than their teams of old because they don't actually rely on two players. But um, Munster, for me, uh, over Toulouse by by quite a lot now. Saracens Glasgow. Glasgow annihilated Leicester twice. Um, put, putting them in the frame but they sort of drifted out of the frame a bit for all those who saw Saracens play so well last Sunday Yeah, Saracens it was a bit of a steamroller performance from Saris and as as poor as Bath were it was a case where you said these are all the best components of what this Saracens team can be hosting Glasgow Warriors Glasgow for all they've achieved over the last couple of years this is a dizzy height that they haven't reached quarterfinals of Europe it's a brand new experience for a lot of this squad and as good as they can be and for all the game breakers that they have you look at this Saracens team and you think 
if they want to, if they're really in the mood, they can knuckle down and bully. Glasgow were not helped by seeing uh, Tim Swinson sent off. Who's Tim Swinson's has a season of his life for Glasgow. They've got some fine game breakers, but they cannot afford to be losing key players at times like this when they are coming up against the brick wall that is Saracens. Okay, Um, Nick, um, the old French tie, um, uh, Clermont, in my opinion, I don't know if you agree, being the outstanding team this year so far, against Toulon, um, the controversial mighty or non-mighty Toulon. Where do you see that going? Uh, I I think that the biggest bridesmaids in Europe, Clermont, might uh, win this one. I think that Toulon are not going particularly well. And, uh, you know, at home at the uh, Stade Marcel Michelin, I think that uh, Clermont will be absolutely revved up and formidable. What about uh, Toulon themselves, uh, Nick? They win three uh, titles on the trot, magnificent achievement. Since then, you get the impression they're not quite sure who the coach is meant to be. Uh, you think that the uh, the owner is hiring players and, that, my God, they're getting older and older. I mean, they'll be bringing back Lord Wakefield next to play in Toulon. Do you think Toulon have lost the shape and, and, and are on the slippery slope? I don't know how far they're on the slippery slope. They're obviously still pushing out the bung in huge amounts to uh, uh, a new generation of stars and so on. But you feel that they've lost that initial sort of Wilkinson impetus that they that they had, that, they, that the standards that he set and that the way in which he, sh- he almost shaped that side uh, has begun to disintegrate. Al? I think the important, the interesting subtext of this one is that both of these teams lost at the weekend. If you've kept track of, of headlines in France, you'll have seen the, the on-again, off-again merger between the two Parisian sides mm-hmm. in pro rugby. And actually, for as much as you expected that to have a knock-on effect, there was a real backlash at the weekend. Clermont lost um, to Racing 92 and uh, Toulon lost to um, Stade Francais. Stade Francais, who are also in these European quarters in the, in the Challenge Cup. And you see that and you think, wow, these guys look surprisingly vulnerable. The game, this game like this, that I think that makes it a little bit more unpredictable. I think Claremont are most likely to win this one because whenever they've got a, a home fixture against big opposition, they can be terrifying. And Toulon, although they are in the playoff spots in the, in the the top 14, it just looks like Claremont have got their finger on the pulse a little bit more. Yeah, well, they sort of hobbled into the uh, quarterfinals too long. You know, they, they were the last qualifiers in it. And um, I just, you know, my feeling with them is is that they, they've they lost their compass a bit. And, and Adam, um, we, we're all, we all love our club rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what do you make of that Parisian thing? I mean, these two magnificent clubs... Why would anyone want to make one magnificent club out of it? I mean, I just thought that was awful. Are you, are you pleased that merges off? Uh, I am I'm pleased, but it, it kind of shows the almost disdain that Parisians hold rugby in. I mean, it's, it's more based in the central and south of France. The other big surprise is that nobody got a sniff of it. Apparently, they've been talking for a few months and only got reported, and then it was knocked back. So I couldn't work it out. I mean, can you imagine Harlequins and Saracens merging? I can't. The idea that Paris can't support two professional rugby clubs yeah. with a population that size is uh, is not great. We better leave out that bit about no one getting a sniff or otherwise our bosses might not like it. They might think we're not working hard enough. But, <laughs> um, the, the, oh, oh, okay, so 
Um, we, we, Incidentally, one thing I'd, I'd, I'd like to say is is that the two the two wins by those uh, two Parisian clubs at the weekend are probably because the merger's off. You know, they they both now realise that they've got to fight for their lives. Absolutely, and and Stade Francais, I think, are twelfth tw- in the division. So mm. I mean, that that can't happen. Boys, we've uh, given that a fair dusting there, Leinster. We, I'm just going to ask you for your four winners now. Um, uh, let's go around the table. Leinster Wasps, Nick Kane. Uh, Leinster. By how many? Quite quite a few? No, by very few. Big Al? I think you could flip a coin on this one, but I think I'd agree with Moose. I think Leinster, just by sheer dint of being at the Aviva, will win it by three or four points. OK. Adam, you're going for Wasps? Uh, wasps by a score, yeah. By a score of points? Or uh, by one score? By one score, yeah. OK. I, I, I'm just going, I think Wasps have got it in them definitely to do it. I just think it's going to be a fantastic match. Uh, pro- probably Leinster by a couple of points. Wasps categorically have it in them. Uh, Munster to lose, I've already said Munster by 25 points. Yeah, I'd, I'd find that difficult to disagree with that one. Although, it's that... Uh, factor that you often get which is it would be the saving of Toulouse's season if they beat them but you'd have to say the odds are very heavily stacked against I don't think Toulouse's heads are anywhere near it but I'll now move on to Saracens Glasgow you fancy Saris I think Saris yeah Adam Saris Um, if Saris play like they did in the last half an hour on Sunday I think they would have beaten the All Blacks I think they're absolutely brilliant Um, they could easily put Glasgow away by 20 I think it's fantastic what Glasgow had done. Uh, as Al said, they can't quite get that up, uh, up that last few yards to the summit. And I do think if Billy Vunapola, uh, Itoji, um, these guys, Jackson Ray, these guys get going on the front foot, it really is difficult to stop them. One thing here, I mean, Glasgow have obviously had an exceptional run in the uh, European Cup to date. And my concern is, is that their motivation in this game is going to be absolutely massive because the big defeat that Scotland's suffered at Twickenham has pretty well scuppered, but probably not quite scuppered, the chances of a lot of their hopefuls for the Lions. This might be a foothold back in. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think that, um, you know, you, t- you take someone like uh, Hogg, who's the, uh, the Six Nations player of the year. We all know that Saracens to Richard Wigglesworth are going to put the ball up and up and up above him and Bosch and, and Barrett are going to chase it. So how he deals with that is going to make a difference. And if Glasgow do come out of it, obviously, as you say, it's going to help their lines. Um, we should just go on to the, um, the, the Challenge Cup. It's always a little bit of a kind of afterthought, but it, it is quite tasty this year, just to those who haven't got it in front of them. The Ospreys are playing Stade Francais at home. Bath are playing Breve, two great uh, former winners of the main uh, title there. Edinburgh against, I was going to say, lowly La Rochelle. That's till you remember that La Rochelle are top of the top 14. How did that happen? And then you've got Gloucester and Cardiff, which is one of the great traditional fixtures. Nick, uh, Bath, Breve, Bath just slightly... Going and disappearing down the gurgler at the yes, moment. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I didn't like the look of the way that they uh, they folded against Saracens at all. I think that uh, George Ford, who I've been a huge admirer of, uh, needs to find uh, rediscover his mojo. Um, and if they are going to beat Breve, they're going to need a a real really firm hand at the tiller in that game. And against Saracens, both he and Khan Foto Ali didn't supply that. I think Bath might have one eye on a game the week after when they're playing Leicester at Twickenham. Um, that's basically could be a 
almost a playoff for fourth place. I think they might not chuck this one away, but I don't think they'll be fully on it. I, I just think some of these games, it depends how much you really want to win them. And, and Bath, I would be extremely worried at the moment. Al, um, Edinburgh, uh, Glasgow have reached near the top. Edinburgh still struggling. Um, had a grim time, in my opinion, under Alan Solomons. Uh, again, La Rochelle may come to play, may, they may not, but big game for Edinburgh's future, this? I think so. I think you a lot of these players in Edinburgh have got a lot to prove because as as much as they've enjoyed getting shot of Alan Solomons, as you mentioned there, uh, they've got quite a big character coming in next season. The guys have got to grab grab some time in the spotlight whilst they can because they're disappearing without a trace in the, in the, the Pro 12. And the thing is, is that some of these guys have got a lot to prove um, to the regime coming in. I think the thing is as well is that La Rochelle are going so well, they don't need to rely on this in order to get qualification for the for the Champions Cup next year but that being said some of the players the way that they're playing this season that they could play a second string against Edinburgh and it's going to be pretty in favour of La Rochelle I think the way things are going for I Edinburgh mean, just to say I mean they are physically you know they're a huge side and I think that they've got an edge about them now. They've got this guy, Jason Eaton, who's a former All Black at Locke as their captain. I think it's unlikely that they that they won't turn up. OK. Uh, Hathers, um, Gloucester, Cardiff, got two great clubs there. Um, two great clubs who aren't doing very well. Not mm. doing very well at all. I mean, Gloucester, we've been waiting for them to come through for about 20 years. Ditto Cardiff. Uh, I think both teams will be up for it. How do you see it? Um, well, Gloucester also lost a coach on social media, which was a bit of a new one. Um, you'd fancy Gloucester just because they're at home. I think both teams have been pretty poor this year and toss of a coin job, really. Uh, I mean, Gloucester, I'm sorry. I love the place. I love going there. But uh, I haven't seen hardly any true Gloucester forwards there for 10 years. I have no idea how Gloucester are trying to play. I cannot believe that Fisher going was not the correct um, answer. I think they need to clear out and I hope the new owner does come in because uh, they, they, they need to clean out and they need to not so much push on for a new era. They need to reconnect with... iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
what they are, and and the same with uh, Glasgow, again, same with Cardiff. Again, it's one of your one of those saviour season scenarios, isn't it? You know, I yeah. mean, if Gloucester actually go through and win the Challenge Cup again, as they did a few years ago, then. You know, they can paper over the cracks a bit. But what was interesting this week is um, the suggestion that Carl Ferns, who's meant to be going there next season, has been uh, perhaps wavering a bit or, you know, but Leon have, have, have asked whether it's possible for him to stay. Hmm. So uh, that's, you know, that's another thing because it shows Gloucester's stock at the moment that... You know, they're not a go-to club for a lot of players. You've got a very good point. And, and, and Gloucester put out a statement yesterday saying that there was no truth in the story he was staying in Leon, which probably means there's something in it. Well, that's it. Okay. Yeah, well, that's him staying in Leon then. Um, right, let's just whiz through, boys, to complete our European roundup. We've done the, uh, the, the Champions Cup. Ospreys versus Paris. Nick, uh, will they Paris be up for it? Yes. And you think that they could beat the Ospreys? I do. I think okay. that they'll be massively up for it. And I think that they've got, you know, again, the sum of the parts there is considerable. They've mm. got, you know, not just Parise, but they've got it, probably internationals in almost every position on the field. So if they've got their game heads on, it could be one hell of a game. And I think they ought to stop being preening Parisians and get their sleeves rolled up. Um, Al uh, Ed- Edinburgh La Rochelle. We've been through that. Yeah, I just can ask you who do you think is going to win, though? And I th- I think La Rochelle will win that. I think they'll just have far too much power. They'll roll forward. Edinburgh right. won't be able to live with it. I'm the compere, by the way. Um, <laughs> Bath, Breve, Hathers. Quite um, as I should say. Yep. Bath, just possibly Breve is struggling in the uh, hmm. top 14. Uh, but I still think Bath might have one eye on that Leicester game. Um even so, Hathers, I can't see them. You know, I mean, at the wreck, there's a full house there every time. I mean, these West Country crowds are incredibly forgiving. Gloucester, Bath, of, of, of the failings of their teams. But, you know, if Bath can't beat Breve and get into a Challenge Cup quarterfinal at home, then, you you know, you begin to feel that they're, you know, there might be uh, people beginning to think, well, I might spend my money elsewhere. Ooh. Right, OK. And finally, Gloucester-Cardiff. I think Gloucester probably, but I would just like both teams to play like Gloucester and Cardiff should. Well, we're just still licking our wounds from uh, the Six Nations, lads, but back in club rugby. I don't know about you, but I had a weekend off and went around some of my local clubs, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, I guess it's where we all came from, club rugby. And I really am very, very fond of this idea that you know, it's a social centre, it's a, a community centre, as well as a sporting centre. Is that how you see it, Nick? You've played for loads of clubs. Yes, I do. They're the, they, you know, they're the hubs of their communities very often. They're self-help societies, which is a, a great credit in any community. And um, they bring a vibrancy. They bring a uh, something that goes through uh, from one age group to another. You know, from your childhood through to an adult. And I think that they're, uh, yeah, they're sterling, sterling organisation. And I, I love love the RFU to really target the people who are not playing that great and 30, 35 and let's have second, third, and fourth teams. Al, um, you've played a lot of club rugby uh, up in up in Scotland. Is it now too much uh, battering from Test rugby, not enough club rugby? I, th- I think the thing is, particularly in Scotland, is because professional or district sides are such a new venture that, I mean, there are only two, but when I was a kid, there were four. I grew up watching um, Cali Reds, which mm. is not just not a thing anymore. Um, I think the thing is, is that actually 
you learn a love of rugby in Scotland from from your clubs. Everyone has a local club that they've been down to. I started off at Dundee High School FPs and for everything that Moose talks about there with the values that you learn, you don't learn that just going to the terrace of a professional team. You don't learn that just by going to Twickenham and seeing England play. You learn that from getting your knees dirty at clubs like this. And I think that's the thing is that in Scotland, they've been very slow to pick up on it. But actually there's there's... There should be should be a movement coming back now to start funneling everything back into the clubs because there's too much of a step between the very very top amateur teams. Mm-hmm. For example, I I played at Harriets when the when the British and Irish Cup first came in, and we played there and it was men against boys. I remember playing against Munster. They had Nick Williams at number eight. They had Peter O'Mahony in the back row, and they had uh, Conor Murray at scrum half, and it was a bloodbath. And eventually they went, right, these teams can't handle that step. There should not be that level of disconnect between your top professionals and your top amateurs. And that's the thing that Scotland have been slow to pick up on. But you're right, that's where the lifeblood of the game is. I, I didn't think those three players I'll play were that good. You mean to say you didn't handle them or what? Jim it's Boot. a bit of a lame excuse. <laughs> I, d- I don't Connor. think... It- OK, fair enough. Well, there we are. Um, a bit of running up the white flag there with those three. <laughs> yeah. I think I would have had them at any day of the week. Now, w- well spoken. I'll, I totally agree. Um, Adam, a lot of your um, as a, as a fr- as a major freelance, you mm-hmm. you need international rugby to uh, to attract the sports editors of, of maybe of papers who don't normally cover reams and reams of rugby. But do you like getting back to club rugby? Um, I do when I get the chance. But obviously, I mean, Premiership gets gets space in the tabloids. Um, I mean, club rugby. Below the premiership doesn't get a look in, um, which is a shame because you know there are some good stories there. But you know that's the way of the world at the moment. You know if the sports said it hasn't heard of people, then uh, I'm afraid they don't get in. I think that's one of the, the good things um, in which Rugby World and the Rugby Paper provide is actually giving a spotlight to these games. And I think that is, I personally believe that is one of the most valuable services that we provide because you just can't see it anywhere else. A, a lot of people will get their news. And in fact, to be fair to them, the RFU's media team do a very good job of highlighting big stories, yes. but they are few and far between. And the thing is, is that that's one of the good things where you can pick up a paper on a Sunday or you can pick up a magazine and go, okay, in the magazine it might be a couple of weeks old, but actually there's a story, there's highlighting all these stars because these leagues do have star players and there are stories worth telling. I, I definitely think there are. And I, I just think anyone anyone listening, anyone subscribing to us, if you're uh, still of uh, playing age, that's probably anyone below 70, both both sexes, or even if you've never played before, give it a go because you're joining a brotherhood and a sisterhood as well as um, as well as a sporting team. Just briefly, lads, uh, we heard last week that England are not going to play New Zealand in what some people described as the greatest clash of all time. Some of us thought was a complete and utter waste of time and a ignorant ig- uh, ignoring of player welfare are we are we mourning the lack of the England New Zealand test Adam it's it's not a bad thing that they're not playing but I was at the Ian Ritchie briefing on Friday at Twickenham and he tried to persuade us that Eddie Jones actually wanted this game I this is the same Eddie Jones who told us he might rest players in the autumn who've been on the line store. I can't believe Eddie ever wanted it. And it was the same Eddie Jones who not that long ago in, in Australia said that the, pl- the players should spend more time on the beach. Do you mourning the lack of uh, England, New Zealand, Nick? No, not, a, not at all. Uh, I think that the idea of playing New Zealand first up in the autumn after a Lions tour in which players will be hanging uh, was about as stupid as it gets because they would have been, they would have gone into a game with no no preparation really of any of any sort at all. 
If the New Zealand game had come at the end of the <coughs> autumn series, perhaps. But even then, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're pulling in another game into the uh, autumn window. And of course, that's extremely contentious, you know, in terms of uh, concertinaing the season. Al, you've been known as a, probably as a former prop, an unlikely sevens expert, but you've been to Hong Kong, you've seen what it's all about. I just need a quick roundup from your resume about where sevens is. Has it kicked on since the Olympics? Uh, what's happening on the World's HSBC World Sevens Series? It's an interesting one you asked whether it's kicked on during the Olympics. I'm not sure it has quite grasped the nettle, which is which is a fantastic shame because of the spectacle it was at the Olympics. Because of the build-up was so bold, I think it suffered from a lack of coverage and I think the sport itself actually has to look at itself for that. However, it, it's an interesting one to see where things have come because also the great story of those Olympics was Fiji winning their first ever Olympic medal. They have gone right off the boil this year. Uh, it's taken a while. They've got Garth Babers taken over as head coach um, they've, he's not quite bedded in. They've not quite had the same. I think. I think in this respect, it's it's right to use the word culture. They just ha- don't have the same feeling as they've mm-hmm. had. Uh, the, even the year before. For all that, though, South Africa, the Blitzbocker, have come storming back. For all intents and purposes, they look like the champions-elect. England have given it a right good go. And actually, there's been a, a mini resurgence from Scotland and Wales as well. Um, good season so far from them. So it's exciting. It should it should drag on before we know, but it looks like South Africa will win it. And the thing is, is that thankfully, and this is much needed, is we need more and more and more pressure behind women's sevens. It needs to be as big as as the men's circuit. Sure. They need to, they shouldn't be scrambling around every year to find major venues to put their hand up and say we'll host a leg of the women's series. And it's in, incredible stuff, as we all saw in the Olympics. And in fact, I'd urge you, if you get the opportunity to watch a stream, and World Rugby are very good with putting streams up and keeping you up to date with scores, if you get a chance to watch the women's sevens game as you can with the men's sevens team, do it, because you will not be disappointed. I agree. I agree. Well, well said. Now, um, three of us in this room are off to uh, New Zealand in the um, in the in the spring for the Lions tour. They're going to release us on parole uh, after a few months. But uh, Adam, your destination is going to be Argentina with England. Yep. Fascinating because there's going to be a lot of England players on the Lions tour, so a lot of new lads in Argentina with Eddie and yourself. <laughs> While we're on pumpkin soup in New Zealand, you'll be on the steaks and duck. In Argentina. What are, you, what are you expecting? And the Malbec. Um, <laughs> well, I went on the last tour four years ago to Argentina and just looking at some of the players who were on that, Mike Brown, uh, Joe Marler, Joe Launchbury, Tom Wood, someone called Vinny Vunapola made his debut. Um, couldn't even get a starting place in the tests. Um, so if you assume that fifth, maybe 15 England players are going to, going to be in New Zealand, Eddie will be looking to give people... Um, maybe another 10 or so new faces get in there. Okay, and great great for you for contacts, etc. But will it be competitive? Uh, I think so. If you look at the way the Jaguars, Jaguares are playing in the Super Rugby, um, they're basically the Argentinian team. They've won three out of their first four games. So they will be proper tests, which wasn't the case last time when a lot of the Argentinian players were playing in France and weren't released to play for the Pumas. I think as well, Steve, you know, I mean, this is a, a watershed for England. I believe that, that, that the defeat in Dublin is a, is a watershed and that, uh, you know, the captaincy and a number of other key positions are going to be really up for grabs now as Eddie Jones goes into what he calls his stage two uh, so I think that this tour, as Adam says, in terms of some players, you know, the opportunities for some players in some positions, hooker, 
etc. Really, they they loom large. Yeah, you can see someone like Tommy Taylor, the wasp hooker, really making a having a crack at getting an England spot. Nick, uh, just going to touch on the lines again. Uh, you were very, very hard, uh, uh, typically hard and correctly hard against uh, the Lions management or rather the Lions um, administration for uh, c- clamping down on what seemed to be proper fundraising and, and fun evenings with the, with, by dim- uh, taking away the use of the Lions name. Yes. I think that the Lions have got to draw a distinction between uh, their commercial needs and the historical and traditional uh, position of the Lions in British and Irish rugby. And I think that they're in danger of getting that wrong at the moment. This idea of trying to create an intellectual property around the name of the Lions and stopping uh, clubs from being able to leverage former former Lions players or Lions associates that they've got for fundraising at club dinners, uh, just seems to me to be, um, you know, using a mallet to crack an egg. Well, I, I, I totally agree. And I just think if we had enough, as many announcements from the Lions on improving the technical chances of the team as of, of we had on, we are, you know, we today announcing the Lions supplier of toothpaste. Well, we, we we might have a chance of winning, or the Lions might have a chance of winning the series. So, so well spoken. Just go, carrying on, we're all picking our Lions teams like mad now, but did we miss anyone out? Uh, who have you seen in the last couple of weeks that I think, hang on, I should have had him in or maybe I shouldn't have had him in? We'll start with you, Adam, then we go to um, Big Al. Uh, I, I did my Lions squad for Rugby World, actually, and um, got com- absolute pelters for putting James Haskell in there. I think he's be absolutely perfect for the tour. I was talking to one very senior former Lion who thinks he'd be a brilliant tourist and a possible midweek captain. I think he'd be great. I mean, anyone who didn't have Haskell, I think they're backing up the wrong tree. But James Haskell's firming in, in your in your opinion. Above your all-time hero, Chris Robshaw, though? Or would you take them both? Um, I, think I'd probably find, I think I'd probably find room for both of them. Robshaw had a brilliant game on uh, Saturday. It was only against Newcastle, obviously. Um, and is probably up against it in a bit of a stacked up position. Right, OK. Turn it, turn Hathers, Mike, off, for God's sake. Uh, Al? Well, I think everyone, almost to a person, has Tyke Furlong in their team. He's he's had a phenomenal Six Nations. He was incredible in that Irish victory over, over the All Blacks in November. He has, he has to be there. He has to be your starting uh, player. But there's a distinct lack of people talking about Dan Cole and what he brings in terms of steadiness as, as what would be... Uh, He's, he's much older, so the term understudy wouldn't be fitting. But the backup to him, because he's, in terms of set piece, which is one of the things you need to defeat the All Blacks, he is safe as houses. Okay, he gives away penalties around the park, and that's why Tag Furlong will always be ahead of players like him, because he is mm. so dynamic. But the sheer, sheer way that people are ignoring him completely, I, I find baffling. Mm. Okay, that's a, that's a prop talking. Who, know, who knows his stuff? N- Nick, uh, Lion for you? The great poacher was back on form again at the weekend, Chris Ashton. Um, Ashton has, uh, has obviously fallen out with, uh, of love with, with England, but in just in terms of finishing ability, you'd have to say him. And the other one is obviously Danny Cipriani, especially when you look at Bowden Barrett, have the Lions got somebody who can match him for flair? Well, good, probably in Cipriani. Ashton, just just on Ashton, yeah, I was at that Saracens game on Sunday and 
in the press conference afterwards, one of the lads said to Mark McCall something like, isn't Chris putting in a good shift before he leaves the club at the end of the season? And McCall actually volunteered that stuff about the Lions. He wasn't asked about it directly. Right, fine. I, I, think, he's, I think he's a really, really good player. My, my Lion, um, we're talking about great Gloucester forwards. There is a great Gloucester forward there who's, who's completely in the traditions of the finest Gloucester forwards. He wins the man of the match almost every week. Loved at the shed. Richard Hibbard is, for me, easily the best Welsh hooker. He fell out with Warren Gatland. Uh, I was talking to Adam Jones about him. I was also talking to uh, Nick Wood, the former Gloucester prop. Nothing but great things to say about him. A very, very uh, sad he's fallen by the wayside. So that that's a few Lions thoughts for you. No doubt you've got them thoughts of your own. So that's about it. We've wrapped up uh, most of the big issues of and the smaller issues of the day. The lads have spoken brilliantly. Just before we go, um, our careers... Uh, such as they are, I'd just like to know from you what your best assignment was, and that is the maybe the best game you covered or the thing you most enjoyed. We'll start with Al. Best assignment of your career, mate? Well, uh, thankfully, uh, with Rugby World, you get a chance to, because uh, as a magazine, you get to go in-depth every so often. Um, I've been very fortunate to be afforded the opportunity to to do investigation pieces, to, to look at things over a period of six months. Uh, recently, we just had a piece that came out about painkiller use in rugby because mm. a, a former player approached me and, and said that it was something that he was concerned about when he played. And the opportunity to be to be allowed to, to go and investigate that for six months on top of putting a magazine together every month is, is something that I'll forever be grateful for. Yeah, it's a great great piece as well. Adam? Um, well, it's probably the reason why I'm going back there this summer. Um, four years ago in Argentina, the great thing about... When you do these tours to Australia and New Zealand, I hope my boss is listening, you barely sleep because by the time you finish work, your desk has woken up, they've had a different idea, you have to change your stuff, so... You're working against the clock. And when you get back from the Lions, boys, you're going to be absolutely knackered. Um, mm. Argentina, the last tour, by the time I found out the desk with the time difference, they already had the Lions copy from Spinky. They weren't very interested in what I had to say. So um, a couple of hundred birds and go and have another glass of red. Ah, right. I see. So <laughs> interrupting, sorry to interrupt your social life on that one. But OK, I see where you're coming from. Nick, favourite assignment? In- interesting when Adam talks about sleep deprivation. Um, you and I will remember the <laughs> 2003 World Cup um, until we shuttle off the mortal coil, yeah, I'm sure. We almost did shuttle off the mortal <laughs> coil. <at> the- <laughs> well, uh, my, my memory goes back to... Um, doing a piece on Jean-Jacques Krenker, the great French loosehead, at about sort of uh, two in the morning and then being told that um, the editor uh, actually fancied a piece on Freddie Flaky Michelac <laughs> instead. <laughs> and uh, I started uh, dictating off the top of my head. <laughs> and uh, as I think you probably attest, I fell asleep midway through. <laughs> He was dictating to a copy taker flat out on, on the carpet of my hotel room. And I'd woken up and I picked up the phone and said, hello. And the copy taker said, hello, is he gone? So I woke Nick up and he completed his piece. It read really well. So 03 for you? Yeah, I thought it was a, uh, it was, it was a great roller coaster of a trip. Yeah. And, um, you know, just to see the way in which the whole of Australia mobilised against the great foe England and they managed to come through. Wilkinson was cast as being a, uh, a gibbering head case by, you know... Woodward. By, look, by, <laughs> <laughs> 
But, um, you know, the way that they came through, uh, they were a team that was just, you know, just dipping over the rise, but they managed to hang on to win it and uh, to win on a foreign field and particularly a foreign field where the, the odds were heavily stacked, including a very weird refereeing performance in the final, mm. for me, uh, was, uh, was, it was a, a great um, opportunity to be there. For, for me, it would not be anything related to South Africa. The 1995 World Cup, obviously going back some time, but 1992 when they came back to international sport and they played for the first time and the old anthem D Stem played, you think, God, blimey, this is nothing to do with rugby. You know, we, we've mm-hmm. got to get above it. So we're all really lucky. Uh, there are vicissitudes in what we do, but um, it's been great having three real uh, top journalists w- w- with me today, uh, three people who love uh, the sport, but also really what journalism is. I think that's fair to say for everyone, for all three of you. Thanks a million. Thank you for subscribing to The Ruck. We'll be back next week with, a, with another lineup and look forward to being in contact with you then. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.